This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Real estate company WeWork is lowering its valuation by as much as half before it even goes public. That would take the $47 billion valuation down to below $25 billion. It's also reportedly delaying its IPO. WeWork rents out workspaces to startups and other businesses. Questions surrounding how it, its operations run as well as its corporate governance are growing along with the losses that the company is piling up. CEO Adam Newman, who founded the company in 2010, was paid $5.9 million in stock by WeCompany for the Wii trademark. But Newman has returned the funds. So what is next for this company and what is up for its IPO? We're joined uh, by David Erickson, senior fellow and lecturer in the finance department here at the Wharton School. He has an article about this on the Knowledge at Wharton website right now titled, Why the Wii Company Looks Like the Me Company. Also joining us, Lynn Sherman, an executive in residence and adjunct professor at Columbia Business School. He's also a former partner at Accenture and Booz Allen Hamilton. David, Len, thank you very much for your time, gentlemen. Thanks, Dan. Glad to be back. Thank you. So, David, uh, I guess first let's start with this news uh, about the lowering of the valuation. And it's almost like we, we've taken your article and taken that next step immediately. Well, we, it's it's only been reported, right? right? And until they actually file something, we won't know for sure what the plans are. But, you know, it's the fact that it's out there uh, and been reported in a few different places, it's not a great momentum builder, obviously. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll see when they, you know, whatever their plans are. I mean, what I've, what I've heard or what I've seen in the reporting is they've gone to SoftBank, uh, who is their largest shareholder outside Adam Neumann, um, and, and potentially have talked to them about potentially lowering the valuation before they go public and or potentially getting additional money from SoftBank, whether it's in the IPO or delaying the IPO and going privately. Now, again, until we actually know what's, you know, until there's actually more formal filings to, for us to kind of really opine on, uh, uh, you know, it's more speculation at this point. Glenn, what are your thoughts? Well, this isn't the first setback that uh, the company is facing. Uh, last year, the uh, the plan was that SoftBank would uh, invest $16 billion at some inflated valuation and never got to, to consummation at that level, so we don't know exactly what that would have been. But uh, the company suffered kind of a very rare indignity that SoftBank's limited partners, uh, mostly large sovereign wealth funds, uh, had kind of raised the white flag and said, I think we're in deep enough. It's very unusual for limited partners to overstep their general partners. And uh, it was a big setback for uh, the CEO of SoftBank and for the company who wound up only raising a couple of billion dollars and that established that last private valuation of $47 billion. So now what, what David was just talking about, you know, may be the biggest, certainly that I'm aware of, the biggest haircut that a last round private investor may be facing. And that's if, if they can float this IPO, which is still, you know, far from a certain thing. So, David, let's let's dig into your article a little bit, if we can, and and some of the the concerns that are that are cropping up as to kind of the future and whether or not this is a company that should go public at this point. Yeah. So, you know, again, the thesis for my article was, um, uh, you know, I was a former investment bank for a number of years, took lots of companies public over the years, and so on and so forth. And what what has been surprising to me. 
um, over the last several years specifically, I guess I retired in 13 from Wall Street, um, is um, the change in terms of the behavior towards governments or governance in terms of, I guess, the lack of caring about governance, whether it goes back a couple years ago when SNAP went with the no-vote structure to in this situation, it seems like Adam Neumann um, used you know, a few things uh, to, you know, he, he, he sold a lot of stock or monetized a significant portion of his stock, or in terms of monetary value, the, again, what's been reported is around $700 million. Again, that's not unusual for a CEO to take a little bit of money off the table before they go public, but just it's a high-popping number. Um, the fact that he um, bought office space, um, again, personally through an LLC or, or structured in a fashion, where the company and then uh, lease it out to the company, um, uh, and the the thing that I found in their again the related party section of the perspective or the filing that they had in mid August that really surprised me was the fact that he and his co-founder um, through their LLC pursued trademark uh, to get the We trademark and. Um, on a personal basis, not through the company, not using the company to do that. And then it was disclosed in that the company was going to pay some, uh, you know, monetize that for $6 million to uh, the founders, the co-founders. Right. Now, I guess there was a filing yesterday where they've now decided that's not the case and they're giving the money back or the value back. But again, it's just not a great, it's not great signals for, from a governance standpoint, from a judgment standpoint, for a CEO that wants to be a public CEO um, of a significant public company. Yeah, is is Neumann, to a degree, with with the real estate part of this and and buying those properties, David, it it seems like would he be trying to kind of cover both ends of the spectrum by taking properties that, that WeWorks was leasing and now buying them on the backside? Well, I don't know about that. I just, I just think he was, you know, it's kind of, it's not again great. It's not great judgment. At least again, the 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 warning signs are there that uh, uh, here you've got a CEO that hasn't necessarily demonstrated the best in terms of judgment and governance characteristics, and this is for again a company that where again it's been disclosed that he will through a high vote low vote structure. He will control more than fifty percent of the vote right. of this soon-to-be public company if it goes public. And so, you, when you unpack all of that, if you're a public investor and having seen kind of how you you benefit, lack how you've been disappointed, let's say, by what's happened with having no vote at SNAP and other situations, I, you know, it's just the, the warning signs are there. On the governance side, no question about it. Len, yeah, I've personally never seen uh, as as many warning signs all bundled together in such a large proposed IPO in in my kind of long uh, history of following these things pretty closely over the the decades, not just the years. And you know, the, the glaring uh, this company has checked every box of glaring red light warning signs, <clears throat> whether it's the business model risk in a business that has been yeah. losing money at a, a breathtaking rate, uh, rate, and the management risk embodied 
in a CEO who has already had a quite a track record of exceptionally poor business and ethical judgment in the uh, governance risk, which they've referred to in this three-class voting structure that, that gives uh, Adam the greater than 50% voting rights. And then finally, the business cycle risk, uh, which uh, really could doom this company if a prolonged recession does hit us, given they've got $47 billion of long-term lease obligations on their books. So that this is uh, they didn't miss a trick in terms of uh, the, the risk associated with this investment. Well, if you can, for a second, Len, talk about that that, that business strategy, the company itself. And, and as you mentioned, obviously, we've, we've seen uh, large real estate issues going back a, a decade or so um, with, uh, with holding uh, properties uh, online. Uh, right. But but when you're talking about the the market, and let's just use New York City for for example, since you're there right. in Columbia, is this the type of business that in a market like New York City would be successful? Well, yeah, you know, I think when you look at this company, I think we have to separate out the viability of just kind of the inherent business of being in the temporary office space realm business, whether it's New York City or Calcutta or anything in between, because they are quite a global uh, enterprise. Separate the the business viability from the valuation uh, and the kind of self-imposed risk that they've taken on themselves. You know, we have a publicly traded comparable in this sector, uh, IWG, that goes under the trade name Regis, and it is quite a large been around for decades, profitable, except during recessionary periods, uh, that's kind of stumbling and bumbling along with a nice $4 billion market cap and uh, have proved that you can make money in this business if you manage it you know, fiscally responsibly. Right. Uh, so, so the real issue to me is just the kind of reckless speed and uh, risk-taking uh, propensity that this company has, has placed on itself. Uh, and then they completely artificially set valuations. This notion that a single uh, private uh, investor, SoftBank, could put in a couple billion dollars and say, we're going to value this company at $23 billion in 2017, and then come back and throw a couple more billion dollars a year later and say, you know what, it's now worth $47 billion, and we can mark the market and say this has been a great success for our, our limited partners. And, right. and there's no check and balance. There's not even another VC that can say, well, that doesn't make sense. We're not going to go in. So we've had this artificial race to the top in valuation. Uh, and, and now they're, they're facing the prospect that looking for a greater fool in the public markets, they're, they're finding difficulties finding greater fools. And it's uh, there is going to be a reckoning because this, this thing has gotten way too far over their skis. David, I also wanted to bring up the, the, the issue surrounding the, the trademarking of, of We Company and obviously how that is all about or did play out with the purchase of the, giving Neumann $5.9 million in stock and it being returned and, and how that all plays into this. Well, again, I think it's um, it's it's it shows the lack of judgment and the lack of foresight that went in, at least from my vantage point, um, in terms of my opinion, um, that went into this. Uh, and it, it just again demonstrates uh, one more example of of you know, as Len has said, kind of bad ethical and business judgment around. And it's not the type of thing that public investors. You know, significant equity investors on the institutional side are going to want to see from their you know public CEOs. Yeah, um, it's just not rewarded in that way. 
You, in your article, uh, David, that's on the Knowledge of Wharton website right now, you go through uh, different areas that, that you view are, are very important when you're talking about making that decision of, of investing in a company. And, and one of the things you, you bring up, and we've touched on a couple of them already, but one of the things you bring up is, is successful company strategy. Right. And, and I'd like you to go into that further because it does not, <laughs> it does not feel like that, that they've reached that criteria either. Well, you know, I think there are some positives. I mean, we've, okay. we've focused on the negatives, and we want, you know, and, and Len's talked about the business model and so on. So, there are some positives, and some of the positives are um, the fact that they are, you know, they are almost well, they are the dominant. My understanding is they're the dominant uh, uh, leaseor or in New York, major markets like New York, London, and Hong Kong. Yeah. Right, and. So there is this kind of, you know, I think uh, uh, Andrew Ross Sorkin said it on CNBC this morning, are they too big to fail? Is it too important to the commercial property market in terms of these big landlords? Um, you, know, uh, you know, so I, I think the business model in and of itself is, as Len said, I mean, they're, they're, they're signing up 15-year leases, and then they're signing up these short-term leases, lending them out to, you know, short-term and that's that's a mismatch, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, any financial institution knows you, you know that's that's a significant mismatch. And if the market turns down, I mean, I remember spending a lot of time out in the San Francisco area back in ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand one, after yeah. the tech bubble burst, yeah. and there were a lot of dot coms that had signed up leases, and then all of a sudden, when a lot of those companies went bust. There was a lot of commercial real estate that had been built that was all of a sudden available and vacant. Um, and, you know, we'll see. I mean, the, uh, WeWorks has not weathered, you know, to Len's point, has not weathered a, a significant downturn in terms of both the commercial. And, and so the commercial real estate market and the real estate market and investors in the commercial real estate, successful investors like Sam Zell and Barry Sternlich and some others have been very outspoken about, you know, this model needs to test the cycles of, of you know, what we've seen in the commercial real estate market. Glenn? Yeah, you know, when a company, you know a company's in trouble when, you know, fill in the blank, and, and we're sort of seeing the, the furious backpedaling that's at least being uh, – reported if not confirmed yet but the other thing you could you could see and that, that raises a serious question whether um this is kind of a viable going forward plan is the kind of comparables and the the language that we work has, has used to, to try to justify its uh his continued you know high valuations and expectations and, and so let me make you know the, the bull case what's the the best case you could make and and uh, there, there's two of them uh, one of them is, you know, we have identified uh, an area where uh, enterprises around the world will be better off by kind of offloading and outsourcing um, kind of assets that aren't core to their business, namely office space and operations of office space. And we're going to be really good at it. And um, th there is a viable value proposition associated with that. And hey, look at Amazon's AWS, for example. That's exactly what they did. They right. said to companies, why do you need your own servers and all that stuff? And we can make lots of money just like Amazon did with AWS. This is like Uber saying we're going to be the Uber, of, uh, the Amazon of, of transportation. But if you cut beneath the economics of that, and let's look at AWS's business, which is a very cash-generating 
profitable business. Uh, and WeWork just has none of the, the, the same um, positive economics. They have inherently higher fixed and variable costs, higher customer acquisition costs, lower switching costs, and therefore more churn and, you know, tenant churn, as David mentioned, yeah. and vastly higher business cycle risk. So that's just not a relevant comparison. And then the other thing they even more bogus is to say, don't look at us as a real estate company. We're, we're a technology company. Well, you could put any label on it you want, but what will drive the economics of this company uh, is the underlying economics, which I just referred to, which are not very favorable for the uh, the speed and size of risk they've taken on. That's basically the same uh, the same line that we heard from Uber many years ago. We're not a transportation company. We're a technology company. Not not unsurprisingly, both companies in trouble without a, a path of profitability or grasping at straws. How, how, you mentioned churn, Len, and obviously that's a that's a, a component that in real estate, I think a lot of people when they hear churn, they they hear it associated uh, with uh, companies like Verizon and AT and T with the the month over month change of customers. But in the real estate industry, how significant of, of an issue is it in general? Well, you know, churn, churn wouldn't be bad if you could instantly replace the customer that, that or the tenant that said that don't need the space anymore with, with, you know, a long waiting list of folks who are just, you know, waiting for an office to open up. But, right. you know, the fact is that WeWork's uh, occupancy rate is already showing signs of uh, slight decline. And, and as David mentioned, we're, we're, we're talking about a company that has been around for 10 years, which happens to coincide with what's been the longest bull market in United States history. And if they're already struggling to achieve occupancy rates, um, you know, that are going to ensure their profitability in, in boom times, you know, watch out. The last time that this company, Regis, um, temporary office space uh, company that's been around for decades, uh, got into trouble is in uh, a, a serious recession in the U.S. and their U.S. operations actually declared bankruptcy. So we, we've seen this dance before, and only bad things will happen, not, you know, if, but when we, we hit this uh, downturn that's being watched very carefully. David? Yeah, no, I, 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 I agree. I think it's it's got to be tested through some cycles. Um, it's, it's a very bull market story. I think the challenge is now, if the reporting is correct, that they're trying to find a level where they think a, an IPO can get done. You know, that's, that's obviously not a great situation. Uh, uh, for the banks and for the company and their large shareholders, um, you know. But I, 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 there are things that WeWork could do to make things better for them. Um, and the question is whether it's too little, too late at yeah. this point. I mean, yeah. they've started to make some steps. There could be some other things they could do. I mean, obviously, they're trying to get you know, potentially postponing the IPO, uh, or at least they've been talking about it, if they can get more money from SoftBank. I mean, honestly, from my vantage point, it would seem like an obvious call to make to your largest landlords and the big real estate landlords that are, are beholden to WeWorks because they have significant concentration of WeWorks, you know, to see if they would make strategic investments in the company, along with the existing shareholders like SoftBank. Um, that, you know, if they can get that kind of additional liquidity in the short term uh, to kind of bite them through, let's say, you know, a year or two or a few more to prove out the model, that would help. Um, uh, collapsing the high-vote, low-vote structure would, I think, go a long ways. Um, I'm not saying they're going to take either, two, either one of those steps, but I think those things could help buttress the argument they're making about why WeWork should be a public company.
Len? Uh, I, I, I'm sort of struggling to sort of think of some other things they could do. They're, they're really in a, in a tremendous box right now. And, um, it, you know, they need this IPO because at their current burn rate, uh, they don't have enough cash in, in the bank to just say, oh, we'll just sort of postpone things even without additional soft bank funding. Um, so something needs to break very soon for them, either getting this IPO out uh, and or starting some some pretty drastic retrenchment. I, I would have a hard time seeing the current CEO voluntarily giving up his, his voting blocking rights, but you know we'll see how desperate things get. But I guess it does. It does really t- talking about Adam Neumann for a second. It, it does, I, I guess, question Len what his future is with this company right now. Well, right now he is the company. So yeah. if anyone determines, you know, it's like asking, you know, what, what, what's going to happen to Mark Zuckerberg? Well, the answer to both is uh, whatever he wants it to be yeah. is what's going to happen because. You know, de facto, we've given uh, complete blocking voting rights to CEOs of a variety of companies. By, yeah. by the way, that is not the case in Uber. Well, all the kind of flaws and warts in the Uber story, uh, to their credit, they have a more traditional governance structure and uh, one man, one vote. So, but, um, but to land that, that, that that's because of the having to exit Travis Kalanick as part. Understand, of it. understand. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it is what it is. But yeah. uh, as I said at the beginning, you know, in case of WeWork, they've checked every box of, of things that could go wrong, and, and governance is certainly high on that list. So, is there a path then, Len, from from as you both said, uh, what Uber went through to what maybe WeWorks needs to look at moving forward? David, why don't you go first? I'll, well, uh, I'll you know, follow. SoftBank's the largest shareholder, external shareholder yeah. in both companies. Yeah. So that's an interesting dynamic. I, you know, I, I had said, uh, I don't know, I've t- talked to a lot of reporters about the WeWorks IPO. I had said uh, uh, over the last several weeks, um, but you know, what I said was um, there are certain situations where founders may not make great CEOs. Right. And I think when Google went public, it was an example of two founders recognizing that they should bring in a, a public CEO, and they brought in Eric Schmidt, and he became the public CEO, and they were still actively involved um, and continue to continue this day. Um, Travis Kalanick had to exit Uber for, for some of the behaviors that you know, and some of the issues that they had at the at the company, and they brought in you know, an external CEO, and, and we'll see how that results. But I, I, I do think there are things that SoftBank, if, if I were in SoftBank's shoes, I would be thinking about how we can benefit from having Adam Neumann still involved, but maybe not at the wheel of the, of the steering wheel. You know, not at the steering wheel, excuse me, of the yeah. car. Glenn? Yeah, just, you know, one thing I think would be difficult to uh, kind of replicate the Uber uh, situation with Kalanick in the WeWork case is uh, SoftBank, who already was a major shareholder, uh, in order to break the logjam and the, the almost board revolt that was going on in Uber, had to inject about $9 billion uh, into Uber, but it actually went into the secondary Uber stockholder market to buy out people like Kalanick and Benchmark and, and right. other, you know, and d cap table owners. Um, so, you know, $9 billion, and none of it went into the company to make the company right. stronger and, and grow faster. So uh, right now, 
uh, WeWork just needs cash, and it would be, you know, really, really painful to have to provide, you know, billions of dollars just to get Newman, Neumann to stand aside or stand down right. uh, when the company itself desperately needs the money. So there is no easy way out for any of the players in this game right now. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, David. Yeah, thank you. David Erickson from here at the Wharton School. Len Sherman, who is uh, executive re- in residence and adjunct at uh, Columbia Business School. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.